Hello everybody and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Today we are continuing our Pitch Fest 2021 series where we talk to the people behind these incredible startups who are impacting ocean health. I'm Amelia Helton. I'll be one of your co-hosts for today. Needless to say, I'm joined by the host with the most, Mr. Tim Silverwood. How are you, Tim? Doing great, Amelia. It's so fun to be recording this series again. There's so many inspirational episodes to come. Yes, and we have 12 in total. This is episode number two. And today we're chatting to Nathan Pine Carter of Ace Aquatech. Tim, this was such a fascinating conversation. What was running through your head when you were were chatting to him? The big thing for me is that a, a huge problem globally is that we don't really give much consideration to where the seafood that we consume comes from. Obviously, there's so many people out there who have a close relationship with fishing or living fishing communities and can create a very clean line between where their fish came from and how it came onto their plate. But for those of you buying it in supermarkets and mass markets around the world, you've got no idea and you don't know half or really anything about the animal welfare and the humane slaughter of fish, particularly from aquaculture. And so that's what this wonderful startup, Ace Aquatech, are doing. They're figuring out how to approach this huge issue of humane slaughter and animal welfare in aquaculture and wild fisheries. Yeah. So, I mean, to give you an overview, everyone, of of what this technology does, um, it's the humane slaughter of fish. So the fish are transported through a pipeline and electrodes in that pipeline stun the fish into unconsciousness in the water. And they've done scientific studies to really back and make sure that the fish are actually unconscious and it's not just the semblance. And for a takeaway from me, Tim, when we look at a lot of these startups, you know, oftentimes doing something good, that comes first and foremost. But there's so many benefits. And, you know, in this case, it results in less stress to the fish. It's faster. It prevents wastage and spoilage, which is such an issue in the aquaculture and wild uh, caught fish industries. And it results in very, very quantifiable benefits when it comes to the higher quality of fish as a product. So it's good for business. It's good for the people that are eating the fish, buying the fish, for the people that run these businesses, but it's doing the right thing. And so when you do the right thing, other good things happen. And I, I just think that that's so powerful to remember as we you know, make decisions in our daily lives. Yeah, and you'll notice in the episode, I really do push Nathan on this because I can imagine there's people looking at the title or getting into this podcast and wondering, how is this positively improving ocean health? All they're doing is killing the vast quantities of fish. I think I read somewhere that two trillion fish get killed every year. But as you said then, Amelia, the problem is if you're just suffocating these fish in ship holes and using all these other inhumane methods, you're decreasing the, decreasing the quality and creating all these problems around spoil, which then means those people need to fish more. Whereas if they can get a higher price for the commodity, then there's less impetus on them to go and take so much from the ocean or from aquaculture. There was one thing I wanted to clarify in the podcast. Um, Nathan, you know, as you get put on the spot with lines of questioning, he spoke about like a $2 billion um, seafood industry. It turns out the, the global fish industry is $400 billion. So I'll just sort of flag that one up front that, um, you know, Nathan was just a bit off um, with that particular statistic. 
Yeah, it's it's a bit hard sometimes when you're uh, when you're on the spot to remember all of your facts and figures. But certainly, I think um, you know we've talked a lot on OIO socials about the wastage that happens in these industries and how you know if we can solve that problem, then you know that results in needing to fish less overall. And so that's a really unique problem as part of many problems that this technology really solves and the best news is that he is trying they are trying as a company to make this miniaturized so that when these legislations come in people who are from these smaller fisheries sustainable community family-run businesses can afford to have this technology and fit it on their smaller vessels so you know it's just good news all around really and and as I said I found it so fascinating as someone who as you said at the beginning you know we don't always think about uh, that side of where our fish comes from. Yeah that's right and you know when it does get to the end and we start looking at those calls to action that realization that as consumers we really do have a strong role to play here because if we are buying our fish, our seafood from these markets and supermarkets, our voice in actually requesting that it is humane slaughtered is huge. And that will force these industries to actually start to adopt some of this technology. So you do have a very important role to play. We do. And as we launch into this interview with Nathan, he said that, Tim, he said, in the, when it comes to the wild sector, we need to demand to know more because people have to use their voices and say that we care. And if we do that, people will listen. And that's how change happens. And those were such wise words from Nathan, a fantastic interview and a really lovely guy. And I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. Enjoy everyone. Very pleased to have on the Ocean Impact podcast, Nathan Pine Carter, who is the CEO of Ace Aquatech. How are you today, Nathan? Very well. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining. Uh, this is obviously one of our Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2021 series where we get to dive into the world and the story of the leaders behind these phenomenal Ocean Impact startups. And Ace Aquatech to me is one that has been fascinating from the moment you came across our desk. And so really looking forward to the chat today. Um, I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about the problem that you're solving? You know, how big is this problem? Um, how have people uh, addressed this problem in the past? And, and why is your solution better than other op op options out there? Yeah, I think the issue we're trying to address is, um, is the inhumane slaughter of fish across the board. Uh, we started out in aquaculture. I mean, it was on our doorstep, but based in Scotland. Uh, so we had a lot of you know trout farms and salmon farms near us. And you know, when we first started out, there was no requirement, uh, legally speaking, to do anything to your fish. I mean, you could uh, treat them however you wanted to, as long as at some point they ended up um, dead. And, you know, ultimately that led to a, a very um, stressful and nasty way that these fish were being killed. So, um, you know, the, the, the company started out uh, with humane slaughter systems, trying to develop a way to improve that. And the way we started was it would be better not to have to remove uh, fish from the water, which can be very um, stressful. And if you think about actually the impact of stress, I mean, it's uh, it's actually taking a, a hit on the economies for the farmer because they're not able to you know, sell their fish at premium prices. Uh, if the fish has been stressed, uh, it's more likely to have um, sort of mucus on the skin. It doesn't sort of feel like a good um, fish. It will go into rigor mortis earlier and out of rigor mortis earlier, which means um, the shelf life is impacted. So you think about the economies of doing things badly, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, 
put that to one side and you say, well, actually, what about the um, the untold, you know, suffering uh, of a fish dying over many hours? It's not pretty. And um, so we thought, well, you know, there are various systems that take the fish out of the water. Um, there's an electrical system um, which is stunning fish with these uh, dangly fingers. And the trouble with those systems are that as the fish go through the uh, the electrodes, uh, there's the possibility of transferring the voltages um, if any fish are touching each other. If you remember that experiment at school where you all held hands in the classroom and somebody touched a battery, you wouldn't be allowed to do this these days, but you'd, somebody touches a battery and the person down the end of the line gets a, a zap. Um, and the same you know, applies with these systems. If the fish are all passing um, through there, there's a transfer of voltage and it can lead to pre-shocks, um, which again is not, not, not a great situation for the fish passing through it. So we were working from the basis of if we could transport the fish in a pipeline and uh, introduce annular electrodes within that pipe, um, we could control the uh, the voltages within the water and ensure that there's an even electric field, which is then uh, ensuring insensibility. And we've gone on to you know back that up with uh, academic work. So we had a, a big one million pound grant from the Humane Slaughter Association uh, over the last couple of years, where we pulled in uh, international scientists to look at the species that we're now stunning and ensure that the fish are unconscious. And we do that using um, EEG. Uh, so we you know, measure the, the, uh, the brain waves of the fish and uh, we're ensuring that there's this firestorm in the brain, which is um, uh, you know, synonymous with the unconsciousness. So there's validic, um, scientific validation to ensure that the unconsciousness that we're seeking is actually happening and it's not just uh, you know, the, the semblance of, um, of unconsciousness that we have there. So ultimately, we're able then to keep up with the, the farmers. So usually these um, killing processes slow the whole um, process down. You have to pull back your, your pumps um, and there's always a compromise. But in water, we can keep up with the pumps. We can stun as fast as the, the farmers can you know, take them out of the pens. We're ensuring that there's um, good welfare of the fish uh, because they're unconscious within you know, the first second of entering the equipment, which is uh, the requirements of the EU legislation. Um, and it's a very diverse and adaptable system. So we can be deployed out on a fish farm in Scotland, or we can take it to uh, stun prawns in Thailand. We can go onto vessels and uh, have it on the deck of a boat or in the hold of a boat. So really, there's application worldwide for every single fish species um, that is being, you know, killed inhumanely um, to address that problem. So it's a, yeah, I think it is quite a, a, a big. Um, impact that this system can have worldwide i'm just wondering what it's like for people tuning into the podcast right now and they're they're understanding that the solution is fantastic from a, a humane slaughtering perspective and an animal welfare but let's drill a little bit deeper onto why this really is an ocean impact solution i'm guessing what we're talking about here is a a higher quality a higher yield of product, therefore less economic losses for the fishers and farmers, and therefore a, a lesser impact on the ocean overall. Can you tell us a little bit more around why this is so good from a positive impact on ocean health perspective? Yeah, I mean, when we started getting into the ocean space with um, uh, wild salmon in Alaska, and it was a really, you know, interesting case because, you know, in Alaska, they're not farming um, the, the salmon in cages. They're wild fish uh, that go up the rivers to then spawn. And when we saw the situation there, we saw that the, um, uh, you know, the fish were coming up the river. They were capturing the salmon. 
and then they were just having the row removed, uh, you know, while they were alive. So it was a pretty brutal situation. And obviously, they want to grow out the uh, the row and then reintroduce it into the the oceans again. So, um, you, you know, there's a, a you know it's a, a sensible um, process, but there was just lacking, you know, any uh, humane consideration for the fish at all. So that was our first sort of encounter introducing the electric stunner. We were able to demonstrate that the efficacy of the stunning didn't impact the viability of the eggs, which was fantastic. We got over ninety five percent viability there. So then we started to think, well, okay, well, what else is going on in the ocean space? And when you look at the, um, you know, the situation there is pretty dire, to be honest. Um, you know, obviously, we're all aware that the, uh, the trawling situation has got to, ch- you know, got to change. And there's some uh, nations that are slightly more advanced than others uh, in this space. So, you know, we started to look at what was going on in um, in the Netherlands, and you know, I, I think they're quite advanced on this. They're moving away from trawling into the seine netting, so um, so it's less uh, damaging environmental impact in the way they're fishing the fish. But also, once you've then caught the the fish and um, and contained them in a seine net, they then need to pump them aboard into the vessel. So again, you see a great opportunity to introduce an in-water electric stunner in the transport pipe, enabling them to, um, to, to catch the fish and then pump them into the hold. And again, they're unconscious. Whereas if you look at the trawling method, I mean, um, I think 90 or 95% of the fish are crushed gradually in the back of this net as the boat is going along. Um, so quite a, a brutal way to, to do things, not to mention, you know, the damage to the seabed and everything else that comes with that. So I think things are moving gradually in the right direction. Um, we've uh, been discussing with uh, supermarkets in the, uh, the UK and Europe um, to, to see where we can implement this system. And we're working with uh, a number of partners. So we've got uh, U-Scan, a pump manufacturer, um, who we're working on, uh, you know, a herring vessel, so a smaller um, boat to see if we can kind of lay out the, the system there to, to really um, allow uh, herring to be uh, captured and to be humanely stunned in that context. And we're working uh, at the moment with um, Tesco on, on prawn stunning, um, but are looking to broaden that into the, um, uh, the wild um, fishing space. So it's, it's important. Um, I think, you know, welfare can't just be put to one side. I mean, at the moment in the EU regulations, there's this sort of strange debate where they say, okay, yeah, we're, we're doing really well on uh, aquaculture. Um, you know, we've done salmon, we've done trout. We want to address sea bass. So that's fine. We've got to do those things. But the big elephant in the room is the wild fish sector, where if it's appropriate to look out for the, um, you know, the humane slaughter of fish on the land or, or close to land, then surely it must be uh, as well in, in the ocean. And I think the difficulty is really around, you know, um, policing this and um, and making sure that, you know, people are not chasing profits at any cost. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, it's a delicate ecosystem. We know that the wild fishing stocks are under pressure, um, but it, you know, it is feeding a huge growing population as well. So we need a balance between providing that, um, you know, rich protein from aquaculture, I would argue, as well as um, uh, from the, you know, the wild fishing stocks. But it's got to be done in, in balance and uh, and respectfully. Um, the one of the difficulties we've encountered is that. There's a bit of a moral dilemma there because as the boats get bigger and bigger and bigger, more industrialized, you have the ability to capture more and more fish, which is putting more and more pressure on the um, the fish stocks. So one of the things we were trying to do was not just, you know, make sure that this is a, a humane slaughter process that's only available for the big players with these humongous um, boats. So, yes, you know, efficiencies, um, you know, l- less time of the people out at sea to catch these fish. That, that's fine. But actually, we want to, to provide 
a humane solution for you know the the um, more sustainable fishing fleets. So the small individual boats that go out fishing and are you know not negatively impacting the fish stocks because they're only taking what they you know need on a small fishing boat. At the moment, you know, the um, it's very difficult because we're dealing with very you know expensive pieces of um, of kit, um, and you know that take up quite a large footprint. And we're talking, you know, many many um, you know tons, so fifty tons or a hundred tons per hour going through these systems. So uh, we've just started um, work on a um, a miniaturized version of the um, of the stunner. So it's a um, a humane um, batch stunner, which is around about a meter uh, cubed that will be ideally suited to these smaller vessels. So meaning that, you know, the EU doesn't have to hold back and say, well, if we put this regulation in, what about all the many coastal fishing fleets that can't afford this equipment? Now we're saying, right, okay, we've adapted this and designed something that is good for fish, um, that is economical for the um, for the farmers, and means that we, we don't put pressure on everybody's boat getting larger and larger and more industrialized, that actually it's a sustainable and uh, you know ecologically sound uh, way to um to fish and achieve a humane slaughter for the fish as well so i would say that's probably one of the the biggest things since we spoke last is this development trying to propagate you know a system that you know everybody um should be able to humanely kill a fish and meet um you know any regulations that come through so, yeah so of course there's the the regulatory framework that would encourage a mass transition across to utilizing solutions like yours but back again to that economics question i believe there was somewhere in some research i was doing where you could actually talk about the quality of the end product maybe going into a sushi market and some very tangible evidence that the quality when it goes through the solutions that you've created is higher and therefore can that stack up in this argument i guess i was touching on earlier where because the quality is greater, there may then be a situation in a certain type of fishery where there's less pressure needing to be placed on the ocean or aquaculture because the revenue you're receiving from your products is, is higher and therefore it shifts the economics a little bit. Could you speak anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just it's so evident. I mean, we have a, a, a number of pilot systems at the moment on this Humane Slaughter Association grant. And the point of the, of the grant was to... Uh, to build systems that people could try out and see for themselves that uh, not just that, you know, humane uh, slaughter is good, um, but that the economies make absolute sense um, for them. And everywhere that we've deployed these pilot systems, they've kept the systems. And, you know, in quite, you know, tough regions as well with quite, you know, tight um, profit margins on the, the fish, they just usually, when, when the system is um, in place, they see that they're getting, you know, twice the throughput of fish their um their workforce they can drop you know to sort of half the workforce because um you know they're or not overwork the workforce i mean again um you know you have sites that are running into overtime there can be people wrestling you know quite large uh, fish um you know in the salmon sector they will be wrestling 11 or 12 kilogram fish and trying to um get them into percussive hammers and you know, it's hugely stressful work and a, a tough thing to un undertake as a um you know somebody be being employed in that way um whereas this allows you, you know uh, it's basically a one button operation um as i say you can get twice the tonnage half the time um uh, with half the, the staff operating it 
Um, so it makes a, a real impact, you know, on, on the operators. Um, not to mention, you know, the, the safety and the economies uh, in, in terms of maintenance. I mean, this is a, a system with no moving parts. So if you compare it to the percussive systems that are out there, which have lots of mechanical moving elements, they have to be set up very carefully for each fish species and each size category. So they're really no good for anything with variability in size or species. Whereas in our system, we've got no moving parts inside the unit. So it looks after itself. It's been designed for international rental uh, as a model to try to make it more accessible and easy to, to adopt these. Um, and that, uh, that means you know, that we have incredible reliability um, built into the unit. You don't need to have a, uh, a mechanical person or an electrician um, you know, fully employed maintaining these systems. They look after themselves and are very robust. Um, so, yes, I think the, you know, the economies stack up. And I think, again, just that pilot scheme where we've been moving them around uh, the world, um, trying to introduce this as an idea. It's as much about um, the economies uh, as, it, as it is uh, about the welfare. And, you know, just in your point about the, the quality, absolutely, that, that translates into, um, uh, you know, a sort of a, a later rigor mortis onset. So um, that impacts the shelf life. So you get longer shelf life, which means less wastage. So you're not um, finding that because the fish has been stressed so much, you're quickly then having to get it out into the market. And if you miss a, a narrow window, well, it's actually gone bad. Um, so this cortisol, uh, the, the stress hormone in the body, makes the um, the muscles break down, you know, much more rapidly if um, if the fish has been stressed. Um, so all of this has an impact on, you know, the amount of waste that's produced in the ocean sector. Um, and if we can improve these processes and the fish can stay on the shelf fresh for longer there's more opportunity for people to buy it and actually to be used for what you know what, why we're catching it um for the human consumption um uh, in terms then just of uh, you know of, of quality of the the fish um you know we have less bruising as a result so if you look at the mechanical systems the fish are usually thrashing around before they go into these systems uh, again the the stress element but also just in terms of downgrades you know the um the bruising appears as brown marks on the flesh which means it can't be sold for a premium price we don't have that because they've been stunned in the pipe in the water so they're not thrashing around uh, which means you're always getting you know the premium um, price you know the top tier of price so the economy is again more fish for top uh, price you know means more um uh, profit really for the um, the producers. So yeah, on many accounts, it, it makes total sense to adopt a, a humane slaughter process. Yeah, thank you so much for for diving into that one. Just thinking again of of the listeners tuning in and trying to to wrap their heads around this this, this great work that you do. Um, maybe a good way to help us understand this is to think a little bit. And you might have some statistics here around the rates of of consumption of fish globally um, maybe you've got some figures there around aquaculture or wild caught and any indication of what percentage are going through humane slaughter processes and and how on earth we get it to be a much greater number if it's as low as I suspect it is yeah it's a good question I wish I had my book of statistics but let's see what I can remember um so I I think um the, the last I looked at this it was a it's a two billion dollar uh, industry seafood in general um, and at the last count, it's split 50-50 uh, in terms of aquaculture and wild fish. Uh, and we've seen that growth. Um, you know, it's a, it's a steady uh, line on the graph. 
um, and will continue to to increase uh, rather than plateau in terms of the balance between um, aquaculture and uh, wild caught, which is good because you know we need to take some pressure off of um, you know the uh, to allow the um, the wild fish stocks to recover, as I said earlier. Um, so, and what proportion is humanely sorted is a quite a difficult one to. Uh, to answer. So I think in certain species, we can say that there's very good, um, you know, uh, humane slaughter. So again, since the EU regulated uh, things, uh, it was 2012 when, um, you know, in aquaculture space, they said that uh, uh, CO2 should no longer be used. So that was deemed an inhumane uh, method. Uh, So that came in in 2012. And actually only last year or a year before, I think it was, um, did all the farmers actually then have to stop uh, doing that? So I think the last CO2 um, uh, system was was removed last year um, because there was a tolerance uh, allowing people to make that transition. So it was quite a long period of, um, of adapting. We've just seen uh, the same now from the European Commission. Um, I was uh, speaking to the Commission um, uh, last year uh, and, you know, with the Sentience Act, which is also coming through, there's a much more focus on um, fish coming out of Europe. And so, again, you know, uh, they're starting to move away from killing fish in ice. So, you know, in the Mediterranean, um, all the sea bass and bream there up until now had been killed in ice totes. And again, that's a very long kind of arduous process for the fish. Um, the focus now you know, is moving on to these uh, other sort of um, more unusual fish into the sort of the, the perch and river um, fish. Um, we see some, you know, great trendsetters uh, globally. Um, you know, some companies are very forward thinking, pushed by, again, supermarkets like Walmart, um, who, who are getting their supply chain to adopt humane slaughter. So this is all happening in the aquaculture space. And it's a gradual thing. And you probably work out now that, you know, it's a combination of pressure from the, the purchasers, so the, the, the customers, you know, looking to see humane slaughter on the shelf in some form of labelling. That's translated into the supermarket saying, right, okay, we need to put pressure on our supply chain. At the moment, it's all happening in, in aquaculture. And that's gone hand in hand with the regulators, um, you know, starting off originally, I think it was Tesco's 2004 with trout that, that pushed in the UK for that to happen. Um, then it was uh, the EU with, with salmon in 2012. And now it's the EU uh, on, on seed bass. So it's really all coming out of Europe. We've just seen in Canada uh, a humane slaughter legislation that says that the fish there need to be humanely slaughtered. So you start to see across the, the globe it's it's spreading, but it's all happening in aquaculture. And as I say, in the, um, the European Commission um, uh, meeting that uh, I was in with, you know, it was an open meeting, people able to join it was rarely mentioned that uh, um, in the ocean space, we need to look at this as well. I think there was one question about it saying, you know, what are, all very well, you know, we're doing this for aquaculture, but aren't these the same, you know, living, breathing, thinking fish um, that uh, that um, play and are intelligent and all these things that we're talking about in terms of the sentence bill. I mean, that, that's the same there, but they're in the wild and, you know, it, it it's on hold. I think it's fair to say, and it's on hold with the, uh, the supermarkets and it's on hold with the regulators i think they want to you know effectively uh, crack it for aquaculture and then i think the the spotlight will turn to uh, the wild fish sector so in t- i can't give you a precise percentage but i can at least say that you know um there's a balance in uh, aquaculture uh, in in salmon um where at least everything is moved away to mechanized ways of killing the fish you can no longer just put them in ice there's a probably a balance between electric probably 50 50 electric and percussive in the salmon sector, 
Uh, in the trout sector, it's um, it's broadly all electric because the Picasso uh, systems don't work there. And in the wild space, I think some of the newer vessels coming out of um, uh, the Netherlands uh, do have either percussive or electric systems in. And we start to see more inquiries coming from that sector, which is great to see. Um, but again, it's these big industrial boats of which, you know, there, you know, there's there's fewer of those than the many, you know, hundreds of vessels that go out, um, you know, in the medium sort of 220 uh, meters, sorry, uh, length vessels or less. You know, out of Shetland, we get 200 fishing vessels, you know, sort of leave that port to go fishing. And none of those have got humane slaughter. So I think you probably see where I'm going with this. It's it's, it's a very small proportion of the um, the two billion dollar industry that's out there. Um, you know, you're talking in the, the the low percentiles that have humane slaughter. So uh, what can we do about that? I think it's just you know keep putting uh, pressure on the supermarkets, keep demanding as consumers that this is an issue, and it works. I mean, we've seen this in you know various documentaries over the last um, couple of decades. Um, whether it's celebrity chefs getting out there saying, you know, what's happening on our farms, what's happening with our eggs, where are they coming from? You know, it's about, you know, making this uh, a point that we care about and that we want people to do something about. And, um, and you know, industry does listen. I think, you know, in, in the aquaculture space, we have very, um, very good, um, uh, you know, the, the fish farmers are, are trying to be good uh, shepherds to their fish. I think ultimately they they're growing. They spend two years growing out the fish, um, and it's a very uh, heavily regulated area, uh, at least in in uh, Europe and particularly the UK. Um, and so there is a lot of you know spotlight there. But I think in the wild sector, it's very difficult for us to know what's going on in these boats, and you know it, it's um, it's all happening behind the scenes. And until we you know demand more about what is going on on these vessels, then you know, uh, the status quo will just continue. So I think it's, you know, to, to spin it back around, it's on us, you know, the, the listeners to this podcast, it's everybody really making it an issue that they care about and using the power of, uh, you know, the social tools that we all have available to us to say that we care and, and people will listen. Um, so yeah, uh, there's hope at least, albeit it's a, it's a low percentage right now. Oh, thank you so much for for diving into that one, and yeah, we certainly want to make sure we we play our role on the Ocean Impact podcast. And I have been thinking for some time. I do need to engage with some of those experts that that do talk about fish sentience and intelligence, and and really unpack that because I think it really is a fascinating area and a perfect reason to be pushing as consumers, if you are a seafood consumer, um, to demand this uh, humane slaughter. Can we go a little bit, Nathan, now into, I suppose, the business itself? Um, this is a, a question where we ask you some of your key achievements, but also some key challenges. And as you can imagine, quite often there's more challenges than achievements. But perhaps you can touch on this one for a couple of minutes, some of your key achievements and key challenges. It's just interesting how it goes when you get into business. I mean, I, I think we, we spoke uh, last time about how my background is in, um, you know, in screenwriting. You know, I started out... Uh, at university thinking oh, I'm going to be a, a, an actor and a, um, and then I, I had had enough of that I'd walked the the boards and done that for a little bit and um, various shows at the fringe in Edinburgh which was good fun um, and then went off into writing you know so that was my background but um, you know the, the family my mother uh, had, um, had had got financially involved in this business when it was just a sort of one-man band uh, it was set up by John Ace Hopkins and uh, he had a background in um, fish um, biology um, and he was a bit of a self-taught uh, engineer. So, you know, we'd play in the garage, you know, with a few of these devices. 
Um, you know, it came to a bit of a, a you know a crux in uh, at the end of 2011, and when he sadly died, and they were looking at you know just folding the business at that point, um, and you know that coincided at the point where you know screenwriters were having a bit of a hard time. I was doing some things with you know Ealing, Ealing Studios and um, BBC Films, but the producer I was working under lost his job, so uh, I thought, okay, well, I knew you know the family business had a very interesting set of um, systems but no idea how to mechanically put them together. Um, so I took the route of, um, you know, getting out there, writing um, grants, so a lot of fantastic um, support from the Scottish government at that point. Uh, we were business managed, so there's schemes in Scotland, I'm sure there are as well in Australia and elsewhere, um, where you can work with, you know, government uh, organisations. So here it was Business Gateway, who we started with, and uh, we were actually at that point up in Dingwall, um, which was part of Highlands and Islands. So we had a, a business manager, which was great. Um, that was uh, Rona. And she helped, you know, uh, brainstorm really what we were going to do with the business. You know, we had a, a product that nobody knew how to make. We had a product that was quite unreliable because it was, you know, <laughs> it was made by a bit of a, uh, a mad inventor. Um, and you know, we were a bit of a, a loss what to do next. So it was really great having that sort of mentoring. And, you know, we, we just solved the problems as they came up. So we managed to, um, you know, find out some companies that uh, were in the network uh, of uh, Scottish Enterprise. Uh, we were able to then um, get them in the uh, designs of the system we had at that point and work through, you know, how this could be um, made for us. We, you know, we talked about the IP retaining ownership because once everything's ticking over, you need to, you know, have that uh, ownership. So that was all sort of worked through. Um, then, as I say, I was, you know, writing uh, various grants. So we managed to get a Innovate UK grant, which was uh, great to develop the electric stunner. And um, on our other product line, we were able to get a smart um, grant from uh, the Scottish government, which again was, you know, fantastic. So. And I mean, I think back to, you know, how the business has gone over the years. I mean, this is probably 10 years now that I'm in it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was very hard in the early days. And I think you know, anybody starting a business, that is just, you know, that's the kind of pull your hair out um, stage of running a business where you're living hand to mouth and, um, you know, you want it so desperately to be a, a success. You're working kind of all hours and for some reason it's the, the time where we all decide to have kids as well you know we <laughs> you know you're balancing then a young family and uh, um you know i had uh, a little boy at that point and my um, my partner works it was just me in the um uh, in the business so we were doing a sort of a timeshare on raising our child at the same uh, time so we were splitting the day half and half um where she would work in the morning i would work in the afternoon and then we would uh, flip it over um, in the meantime, you know, you're, you're trying to write these grants and get your business uh, up and, and off. So, I mean, I don't know whether it was the combination of uh, having kids at that point, the lack of uh, you know, sleep at the time. But, you know, it's a really exciting, interesting phase of your life, isn't it? And, um, you know, it, it's got huge challenges to get a business going, but there are support mechanisms there. And it is really, I think, critical to have them because you need somebody that's not your your partner to talk these things through you know you, you need somebody um you know who who knows the availability of funding uh, and can give you advice so we worked through the um the scottish structure which was highlands and islands then we moved on to business gateway and then into um scottish enterprise and you know the packages of support for you start to open up the further you get down this 
line, and that's um, at least in Scotland, is hinged to your um, your income levels and as you grow and start to add staff. But it's been a really interesting journey. I mean, I was terrified with the first um, hire that I made. You know, it was felt a huge responsibility to bring somebody else under the umbrella of your business. And I, you know, I think back now, it's funny because I, you know, we've over the COVID years, we've hired over twenty five people. So I'm obviously over that now. But um, you know, at the time then, it was such a huge undertaking, and because of the um, it's a sense of responsibility. It's a sense of faith that somebody is, you know, leaving a, a pretty reliable job and, you know, believes in what you believe that this company can be a success. Um, but there's a, you know, it, it, there's a lot of pressure and stress with that first hire because you suddenly feel, you know, you've, you've got to take somebody under your wing. And if it all goes wrong, well, that's, you know, that's uh, impacting somebody else's life. So these are just, you know, these are just moments, aren't they, in time where you look back and you think, God, that was tough. Um, and you know, things are, have evolved. They're different. You know, we're on this, um, program now where we're, you know, we're working towards our series B raise at the moment. Um, and so as the business has grown, you know, we've, we've rapidly increased our headcount. We've increased our offices. We've, you know, increased the partnerships that we have with people helping us produce, you know, these fantastic pieces of um, kit, um, and interesting technologies, you know, that have spread various things whether it's switching electronics in the stunners to ai and our camera systems you know it's it's really fascinating how the company has um has evolved and you know i didn't set out at the beginning thinking oh we would go off you know in this vc route and raise our series a go on to b and then on to c it sort of developed that way you know as we got momentum we knew i i knew we wanted to grow the business um but it got to a point where you know we were doing okay and I was like well we could probably go for a a series a now we could probably do the vc thing because we've got enough traction and then we had this you know moment where we um uh, we were introduced to aquaspark you know who are are fantastic investors in the the blue growth uh uh, scene Uh, so that's amy novakratz and uh, mike veiling um fantastic investors who sort of lead with their you know their ESG credentials. So they they've got a, a remit really to um, help provide solutions to the growing world population and uh, invest in you know various technologies, whether it's uh, tech in the aquaculture sector, whether it's um, you know um, petri dish growing of, um, of protein or, 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 or prawns. Um, so really interesting businesses. And um, and when we were on that track, um, you know it unlocks more you know you you've got uh you you can see suddenly that actually this business that was catering towards the scottish market well actually could grow on the world scene and you know here we are on our sort of movement towards completing our series b round now um and we'll have a series you know see a few years down from that um but i think there's no one route it's not like i had a plan at the beginning of this um i i think you sort of you know you learn more as you get more involved in businesses you meet other businesses and you understand you know how how this all works or you you know you listen to podcasts like this and uh you know something um sparks or you know you you get an interest in how somebody's done it and you read a little more um you know other companies have taken a, a route of you know listing on the stock exchange or going on to the an aims listing and that achieves the same uh, thing and but there are inflection points in your growth as a company where you you, you unlock more potential and you can do more um and 
yeah, it's just been a, a fascinating journey full of ups and downs. And I, I think if I look back on it, I think there were more of the the swings in the early days, you know, where, um, you know, I think back to the the first sort of two years I was in the business and we, you know, we, we had a point where we ran out of money and, uh, and my mother, you know, uh, bless her, you know, put her house on the line for us to get, a, you know, a loan with uh, RBS. So, I mean, she, it was those days where you, you know, you heavy bets on a really, you know, high stake poker game. Um, and that, you know, that was, they, they were stressful times. And I think, you know, now, you know, you, you think, I mean, they're different challenges. I mean, the, the challenges now are about, trying to grow your business, trying to keep the the culture and the values that you started out with, you know, as you sort of bring more people from disparate organizations, you know, into this thing to really maintain your identity and maintain the values that you had at the beginning of all this. So you just, you know, things change, you know, your, your interests and the things that you care about, you know, they're, they're still the same, but you have to deal with them with, you know, unexpected things in this journey. I mean, it would never have occurred to me I know it probably sounds obvious, but it would never occur to me that you have to, you know, deal with these different perspectives when you build out a business, you know, people have different ways of working. So you have to find, you know, um, a, a good balance, you know, whether it's your hybrid working or whether you're going to be a dictatorial company that says everybody needs to clock in and out, you know, and you have to establish, well, what is the sort of place that I would want to work in? And, you know, as I said at the beginning, I've never worked in a business, you know, I'm, I've never done a a typical nine to five job. So for me to build a structure that says, right, we're going to monitor our staff and check that everybody clocks in at nine and is out at five is like, mm, that's, that doesn't work for me, you know? So we've, we've got more of a, um, you know, a, a balanced culture that says, well, you know, we want to make sure that people can pick up their kids at the end of the day, but we do care about, um, you know, people putting, you know, good quality time into the work and the output being good. But, you know, again, this, this is the, you know, as companies grow, these are the things that are really hard to enshrine as a culture in the company. And you have to think very carefully about how you do it. So again, it's, it's just been a fascinating journey. And, and just you don't get all of this, I suppose, when you read a book or, or whatever, you just have to, you know, experience it. <laughs> well, it's fascinating to to learn some of that from you. And I'm just, again, thinking of those enthusiastic founders or prospective leaders of ocean impact startups out there. And you gave lots of great advice and obviously your life experience there, but is there sort of one or two key learnings from your journey that you think could be could land as a great piece of advice for a prospective founder or leader out there? I think the biggest thing of all is when you find the right um, person or people in your, in your company is to really go all in on, on trusting them because I think the thing that holds most businesses back is uh you know i think back to john in the early days and the the reason you know the business never flew earlier and it was because you know he was creating all these systems himself he was always terrified about you know people copying the latest great idea and yes you don't want to be you know silly you need to make sure that your ideas are, are patented or copyrighted you know be very sensible but the most change happened when we approached other companies and said look you're a specialist in this could you go create this for us and just you know, trusting that you've, you know, you've, you've got the right partnership, you've got the right legal agreement in place so that you can hand something over. And it's at that point, you know, when things can really fly because, you know, you, you can't 
spend your life trapped in a a garage, you know, making um, making things. If it's going to be an international business, you obviously have to decide early on what it is you you want to do, and then find the people that you can um, you know trust to help you go on that journey. And I think that applies across the board, not just to the tech. Throughout this whole um, process of growing the business, you know, there's been things that uh, I did as a, a business owner. Um, you know, crosses everything from you know, the marketing to um, bits of the engineering to, you know, site installation, everything. You could obsess about, you know, somebody else is not going to be able to do it as well as me, but you'll find yourself doing it for the rest of your life and never able to, you know, grow your business. So I would say the, the th- most important thing of all is um, is trusting somebody. And yes, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do it not as well as you could do it. It just goes without saying. You just have to accept that and, uh, you know, be magnanimous and you know understand that you know it takes people time to get up to where you, you know you are you've been doing it for, for years probably um but you've got to let people make mistakes you've got to obviously guide them and mentor them and, and give them the time but understand that this is just an important part of you know letting go so that it can be owned by the people in your organization and then together you can um you can push down and, and you know make this company a success because everybody owns a piece of it you know and uh, I, I think that's of all is the you know the critical thing that I think a lot of people struggle with yeah thank you for that I'm sure that's going to land very firmly in the ears of listeners out there um, we're going to get closer to wrapping up the podcast soon but I'd love to get a little glimpse of what's on the horizon for your business like any key priorities or areas you're focusing on for the next uh, one to two years yeah so we're just as i say completing our series b at the moment so there'll be some new investors uh, coming on board um we're putting a lot of focus in the norwegian um market at the moment so we're trying to grow out uh, the office there um and, and really replicate what we've done in um dundee um as I said earlier, you know, there's a huge focus on the uh, the ocean space. So we're going to do what we can to try to make sure that, you know, uh, humane slaughter is really pushed in the um, the wild fishing sector. Um, so that means, you know, working with the supermarkets, which we'll continue to do, particularly Tesco's, um, but also engaging with regulators just to make sure that, you know, we can do whatever we can to try to push that and introduce, you know, as many pilot systems into that sector as possible. In other systems, you know, we, we've got a lot of work going on uh, in AI and camera systems, which is really, you know, fascinating. And, you know, I'm sure lots of companies are looking at this, but, um, you know, we got into that as we've been developing a, a biomass camera system, which um, uses AI to automatically track the weight measurements of fish. So at the moment, we're rolling that into the um, aquaculture space uh, for, for measuring biomass and controlling, you know, uh, or, or understanding how the fish grow so that we're not wasting feed and, uh, and not harvesting fish, you know, at the wrong time at, at an economic loss to the farmers. But that's another system we hope to be able to introduce into the, the wild space. So um, there's a lot of requirement to understand, you know, what fish populations look like out there. Um, but very imperfect ways to measure these things. So again, this underwater AI camera system, we're hoping will be able to be deployed, um, you know, in, in wild fisheries to help us count accurately um, the uh, the fish and the types of species that are out there. So yeah, it's a really exciting space. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you build out these uh, capabilities, you start to see ways that 
you know, these AI cameras can be used, for example, at the end of the electric stunner to be able to measure the um, the weights of the fish that are coming through stun. So, yeah, there's lots of potential here and, uh, yeah, really exciting space to be working in. It certainly is. And I've found this conversation yeah, truly enlightening and, and captivating. So, yeah, thank you for all that you do and the entire team. We'll close out by allowing you to obviously share any final thoughts that you haven't got to yet. And, of course, to tell people where they can follow your journey. I know you're nice and active on LinkedIn, but uh, if you could just close out with that for us, that would be fantastic. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would just say, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out there um, trying to start up their um, businesses or, or try to have, um, you know, impact in the ocean space. I would just say, you know, keep at it. It's a, uh, it's a tough journey i think when you start out and but you know as soon as you've got some momentum you just know that there's people out there that want your business to be as much of a success and these are really critical things critical ideas that you're working on right now uh, it's a very attractive investing space i would say as well um so really all the stars are aligned you know for for people to make a success of their businesses right now and uh you know we, we just need to keep doing as much as we can to address some of these big um you know uh, problems in the environment um so yeah no and uh, as you say yeah we're on social media so you can find us on twitter you can uh, feel free to contact me directly on linkedin um and uh, check out our website as well uh, aceaquatech.com well thank you so much again nathan and all the best we look forward to following your journey thanks very much thanks for having me Can't take the ocean.